You're listening to WVEWLP 107.7 FM, Brattleboro's Community Radio. Also streaming online at WVEW.org. This is the Vermont Vermistory Hour, your spot for local legends, ghost stories, unsolved mysteries, and more. Beat the Sunday Scaries with me every weekend, broadcasting Sundays at 7 p.m. The opinions expressed on the Vermont Vermistory Hour are those of the host and guests and don't necessarily reflect those of WVEW 107.7 FM. This show also contains some content that may be frightening for children. Welcome to another episode of the Vermont for Mystery Hour. I'm your host, Meg McIntyre. I have a quick little announcement before we get started today. If you listen to the show online through your podcast app, you might not realize that the live radio broadcast includes about a half hour of music every week curated by me. Well, I wanted to let you know that we're trying out a new schedule where I'll post new podcast episodes every other week online and do music-only shows on the radio in between. That will just give me some more time to really make the podcast episode interesting and engaging for you. I appreciate your understanding about the changes, and if you're ever interested in hearing the music I play on my show, you can always listen live at 107.7 FM or on WVEW.org on Sunday nights. After a quick break, we'll be chatting with Detective Sergeant Tyson Kinney of the Vermont State Police Major Crimes Unit, who's going to talk to us about a local case that's gone unsolved for more than 20 years. We'll be right back. Hello, this is Eugene Newman, director of the Vermont Jazz Center. The VJC is a proud underwriter of WVEW-LP Brattleboro. The Jazz Center is located in the Cotton Mill Hill Building in Brattleboro, Vermont. We are an award-winning nonprofit dedicated to creating and preserving jazz through the presentation of workshops, concerts, and instruction. For further information, check us out online at www.vtjazz.org. On March 4, 1999, the body of a young woman was found off Interstate 91 in Vernon. She was naked and had no identification with her, and it took police more than a week to identify her as Mary Morales of Springfield, Massachusetts, according to the Rutland Herald. The Vermont State Police and Massachusetts State Police worked together to investigate Mary's death and determined that she was last seen leaving work around lunchtime the day before her body was found. She worked in Springfield at a company called Unicor, where she held some type of administrative role, according to Detective Sergeant Tyson Kinney of the Vermont State Police Major Crime Unit. Mary Morales was a 36-year-old woman who was hardworking. She was a mother. She was a professional. And from all accounts, it sounds like she was a a genuine sweetheart that would do anything for anyone. And unfortunately, just fell under some circumstances that were not good. And it, it just sounds like she was a great individual. 
an autopsy determined that Mary's death was a homicide, and police told the press at the time that she may have been killed in Massachusetts and dumped over the border. Kinney said investigators are still operating off that theory, though it's still possible that she was killed here in Vermont. The original investigators also interviewed Mary's husband, Edgardo Morales. Shortly after his wife's death, he was arrested in connection with a shooting that occurred in Springfield the day she disappeared. According to the Rutland Herald, he was arrested in Puerto Rico where he'd fled after the shooting, but police said at the time that they didn't believe the shooting and Mary's death were related. No one has ever been charged with Mary's murder, and it remains unsolved and on Kinney's caseload today, 22 years after she was killed. And I know back during that investigation, her husband was interviewed, and I won't say he was technically completely ruled out, just because we, we try to keep an open eye or open mind rather than get tunnel vision in these types of cases, because I think a lot of times with criminal investigations, uh, investigators do get tunnel vision and sort of focus in on one aspect of it. So he may have been ruled out at that time, but none of us were there. And with these unresolved homicides, we need to keep an open mind and, and really focus outside the box to this and not completely rule anyone out because of it being unsolved for so long, anything's really possible. Kinney was assigned to the Mary Morales case in 2016 when he was transferred to the Major Crime Unit. He's one of six investigators that work in the unit alongside a crime scene analysis team, two civilian cold case specialists, a victim's advocate, and three command staff. He said the cold case specialists are a recent addition to the unit, and their job is to review and categorize these cases, do an inventory of remaining evidence, and locate any missing files or documents. The job of investigating unresolved cases falls to the detectives, who are also responsible for any recent homicides. Kinney said there are roughly 15 to 25 of those in Vermont a year, while there are currently about 55 cases that remain unsolved. Though new homicides take priority, Kinney said investigators work on the unsolved cases as they can. It's sort of a balancing act to try to investigate these, but also manage the current cases that are coming in. And with our resources, we just don't have full-time dedicated unresolved homicide case crew that will just focus on these all day. So the investigators that we have are balancing the current ones and also the the unresolved ones. And we still get a lot of tips from these unresolved cases. And some of these tips may fire one back up that we haven't even looked at yet, just because we don't have the resources and time. It often takes several months for the assigned detective to get up to speed on the previous investigation and re-interview witnesses or persons of interest. And in some cases, there may not be many people left to interview. One thing that is challenging is as, as more time goes on, we've learned that, or we've seen that a lot of people who were uh, described as witnesses at the time or persons of interest pass away. And a lot of people who are key to these investigations ultimately pass away for whatever reason, which makes it very difficult to move forward because they might have certain information that we now can't use. A lack of physical evidence can also be a roadblock in current investigations of unsolved crimes. 
In some cases, the crime occurred before DNA testing and other new investigative techniques were widespread, and samples may never have been collected by the original investigators. In others, time and storage issues like flooding caused by Hurricane Irene can leave some physical evidence too damaged or deteriorated to test today. Luckily, in Mary Morales' case, some physical evidence from the original investigation has been preserved, and officers are following up on it, according to Kinney. He said investigators have submitted some DNA to be analyzed using genetic genealogy, a technique that combines genealogical research and DNA testing to identify subjects through their relatives. And we have a lot of cases that we are currently resubmitting evidence for just to to have it re-examined to see if the new technology uh, advancements can can help us identify somebody or help us uh, answer a question that we've had for so long. Kinney said police have identified several persons of interest in the case over the years, but investigators are withholding details on Mary's cause of death from the public, which Kinney said is necessary so that police can verify tips or potential confessions using information not released to the press. If someone comes to police with information that they could have read in the newspaper, it's much harder to determine if they're telling the truth. He said there's often information that police can't even share with victims' families, which is one of the most difficult parts of the job. He's spoken with Mary Morales' family since taking on the case, and he knows they still desperately want to know what happened to her. Our job as investigators is to find the answers, and a lot of times we know what the family's asking, we know what the answers are, but we're just not able to tell them. And I can only imagine how hard it is for a family member to come in and sit down with me and have these answers have me tell them that I know the answers, but I can't share it with them. And that's all they're looking for is they want answers about what happened to their loved one. And um, it's very difficult to have to do that, but that's what needs to be done. I couldn't find an obituary for Mary or much other information about her online. I did find an online memorial page for her that lists her as the daughter of Benjamin Rivera and Neris Rivera, And according to that page, she's buried at Park Lawn Memorial Park in Los Angeles County, California. Though the only information Kinney has about Mary is what was documented by the original investigators, he says she hasn't been forgotten. And he still believes that her case can be solved. I believe this case is one of those that is very much solvable. It's it's old in the sense that we're pushing 20... 20-something years now, but it's still new enough that people are still alive, people still know what's going on, and there's still stuff that we can do, and we are certainly going to do what we can, and we're never going to stop investigating these cases until until we get them closed. If you have any information that could be useful in the investigation of Mary Morales's death, please contact the Vermont State Police Major Crime Unit at 802 244-8781. We'll be right back.
Every day, COVID-19 vaccinations are becoming available to more and more Vermonters, with registration expanded to everyone 40 and up on April 5th and those 30 and up on April 12th, the state hopes to include all Vermonters over 16 by April 19th. Vermont's goal is to have everyone vaccinated by July. To help reach that goal, the state of Vermont has introduced a vaccination program for Black, Indigenous, and people of color, and for those who live with them. BIPOC household dedicated clinics are available in Brattleboro, Bennington, Rutland, and Burlington. The Brattleboro program is run by the Wyndham County NAACP. Call 802-297-7832 for more information. Or look for the BIPOC COVID vaccination form at healthvermont.gov. You can also contact the Vermont Department of Health directly at 855-722-7878. Their website again is healthvermont.gov. This has been a public service message from WVEWLP 107.7 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio. Hey, hi, everybody, and welcome back. Prepare yourselves once again for Murder, She Rates, the segment where I tell you what I'm reading, watching, and listening to at the moment. This week, I want to tell you about a documentary called Eileen, Life and Death of a Serial Killer. Eileen Warnos shot and killed seven men in Florida between 1989 and 1990, and is considered one of the first known women serial killers. This documentary is from 2003, and it's the second film about Warnos directed by British filmmaker Nick Broomfield. His first movie, which came out in 1992, focused on her trial and attempts by police and witnesses to profit off of it by selling movie rights, while this movie focuses on her upbringing and the months leading up to her execution. I am often not a fan of documentaries that heavily feature interviews with a killer, Partly because I don't like the idea of giving them a platform for more notoriety, and partly because I find it very disturbing to hear them describe their crimes and motivations in their own words. However, this documentary focuses more on Warnos's mental state as she prepares to be executed, as well as the political climate around her execution. Throughout her trial, Warnos repeatedly said that she killed those seven men out of self-defense. She was a sex worker for most of her life, and said she was being assaulted, tortured, and threatened by them before using her gun to defend herself. But in this documentary, she tells the filmmaker that she lied about all of that and killed the men just to rob them. But then she continues to go back and forth with the story, becoming more and more paranoid and telling the filmmaker she can't admit that it was self-defense, or her execution may not move forward. Since this film is from 2003, some of the language used throughout is definitely outdated, and the style of the film cinematically leaves something to be desired, in my opinion. But I think it's an interesting watch, if only as an interrogation of America's death penalty system. Though Warnos appears increasingly distressed and disconnected from reality throughout the film, believing that police knew about her first murder and allowed her to keep killing to make more money off of movie rights and book deals, she's declared competent for her execution by three different psychologists, within a matter of only 15 minutes. You can see her relationship to the truth changing before your eyes with each interview as she contradicts herself and other witnesses, one moment saying that her family was very straight and decent, and in another saying that if she'd been born into a different family, she'd likely have turned out great. With paranoia in her eyes, 
She says staff in the prison are out to get her, and that she's ready for execution because she'd rather die than continue to be incarcerated. This is not an uplifting film, but it certainly starts a conversation about the ethics of putting someone to death, and the systems we have in place to determine who truly deserves to die. Overall, I'd give Eileen, Life and Death of a Serial Killer, 3.8 out of 5 skulls. And as always, you can send me your take on the movie to vermystery at gmail.com. That's vermystery at gmail.com. That's all for today's show, folks. Thank you to Detective Sergeant Tyson Kinney for speaking with me about the Mary Morales case. I also found information from archival newspaper clippings from the time. A special thanks, as always, to Matt Bruno for help with writing and research, to Ginny Stoos for designing our cover art, and to Nikki Seafried for her help with our theme music. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to leave a rating or review letting us know what you thought. You can also follow the Vermont for Mystery Hour on Twitter at VermysteryPod, and suggestions for future episodes are always welcome at vermystery at gmail.com. Let's beat those Sunday scaries, friends. <laughs>